welcome to episode 10 of the Dollars and Doctor Show. I'm your host, Gritej Varn, founder and financial planner at White Coat Financial. On today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Rajdeep Sangha. Dr. Sangha is a general practitioner practicing in South Surrey, British Columbia. He completed his undergraduate degree at UBC and then went on to study medicine at St. George's University, where he graduated magna cum laude. He then went on to complete his residency in Edison, New Jersey, where he served as the chief resident. Today, he practices at Hilltop Medical. I'm so excited to bring this episode to everyone, since Dr. Sangha talks about each and every step in his long path to becoming a family physician in BC, and I think so many future doctors and current doctors can learn from his tenacity and his resilience. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Where did you grow up? Um, and then where did you go to, I guess, high school and undergrad? Yeah. So I grew up in Surrey, BC. Um, I grew up pretty much by 128 and 64th Avenue. I started off at Panorama Park Elementary, then went to Tamanua Secondary. I was at Tamanua Secondary for about three years. And then Panama Ridge opened up and I was part of their catchment zone. So a big, big portion of, of Tamanois went over to Panama Ridge. So I was part of that group. Um, and then I was part of the first graduating class of Panama Ridge. So I was there for two years, grade 11, grade 12. Um, did pretty well, you know, high school years were pretty good. But um, yeah, that's that's my early years. Fair enough. And then I actually didn't know you went to Tamanois. I thought you went straight to PR. Um, yeah, nope. Tamanois for the first three years. And it was different. You know, Tamanois, I was definitely more like shy. I didn't really talk to many more people probably did better in school. And then in Panama Red just started, got more popular and probably did not as good uh, as I would have in Pamanois probably, but still decent enough. Fair enough. But you did well enough to get into UBC sciences right away, correct? No, no. Okay. What did you do? So, first? yeah. So I tried to get into UBC sciences. My, my grades weren't good enough, got into a UBC into arts. Um, but I took all science prereqs and only took like the minimum I think it was like four courses you had to take in in arts um you know and didn't do well that first year because the first year at UBC first two years usually at UBC are extremely tough um as typical and it was it was pretty brutal I did not expect to be able to transfer over into into sciences because I did so poorly but crazily I got accepted uh and it was a complete shock I had a completely different plan going for me I was going to go you know, maybe into law, maybe become a pilot. And then I got into sciences and it just shifted everything back to what I originally wanted to do. Um, yeah. So then, but that goes to show you just how hard that first year of UBC is, even for those science students, they got, you know, they got demolished by that, that first year as well, which is why I was able to transfer over. I think it is like even my own experience at UBC, my first two years there were way harder than the last two. Yeah, and I don't sure. know if that's because the education is harder or you just become a better student and more efficient at studying and knowing. I think you become a better student and better at studying for yeah, sure. Plus you were on campus, which is yeah, like yeah. I spent my first year in Windsor on campus and it's it's impossible to focus because all your friends are yeah. around. You just don't get anything done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was it, it was different. But at the same time, I loved it and I would do the exact same again. Yeah. I would go to campus for sure. It's it's the best. And so if I have this correct, you started out at UBC in arts, you moved over to sciences, but before that you were planning on a different career path? Well, no. So, I, well, I wanted to, you know, always wanted to be a doctor, you know, typical, you know, Indian family mentality. They kind of talk about you being a doctor since you're a kid. Uh, but at the same time, I also 
wanted to be a, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to be a doctor too. Um, it's a good job. It's a respected role in the society. You're helping people. Um, you know, you make good money. Um, you know, you don't really know how stressful it is in the early parts, but you know, it's still a job that most people when you're young, you want to do. Um, so it was something that I also wanted to do as well. And if you had asked me in high school, what I wanted to do, I would have told you I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but then when I got into university and after that first year and how hard it was, I was just, you know, I was rolling with the punches. You know, my reality was most likely in my mind, I wasn't going to get into sciences. So what are my next steps? What do I got to do? It's always planning for the next step. So, you know, I was thinking about law and, you know, maybe becoming a pilot. It was just completely different things. And I, I only really probably thought about these career paths for maybe six months before I found out I got into sciences, which was in the... I, th I think I found out in the summer. Um, yeah, but then that that completely just shifted my mindset back to what my original mindset was, which was a career in the sciences, usually, yeah. you know, a doctor. That's crazy. So you, first year almost humbled you a little too much. And where oh, you're 100%. Like, I, can't, I can't go into medicine, but I'm glad you actually made it because this is really important, I think, for a lot of anyone who's listening to this who might be, you know, a, a new grad or fresh out of school. Or even if someone's younger and they're an undergrad. 100%. They I think that. this is very important for people younger in high school to know, you know, it's not you, to become a doctor. You don't have to be perfect in everything. You don't have to get everything right away. You got to just fight. As long as you fight, you can do anything. Yeah. I, I honestly think you're like the epitome of that. That's that's half the reason I wanted you on is because you didn't take the the straightforward path of UBC, then UBC medicine, and then residency in Canada, and then... Yeah. And then start practicing we'll get to sort of yeah, what the path sure. was um and so you did well enough to get into sciences and then you you know went through yes. sort of a, a science degree yes. um what made you choose school outside of canada was it because you couldn't get in here or what made you oh yeah oh yeah well so at ubc so pretty much once i got into sciences my mindset was okay pharmacy dentistry medicine one of those three uh one of th one of those three careers in the sciences i wrote all three of the exams the pcat the mcat the dat um you know i did really well on the mcat you know quite well uh, at that time it's a different scoring system now but that gave me a lot of confidence and you know made me wanted to go into medicine because that was the one test I did the best on and honestly I'm not gonna lie I tried my hardest on that test I studied the hardest for that test for sure for sure compared to the other ones um, so yeah that kind of motivated me motivated me to get into medicine um, but the degree at UBC at that time I don't think they have it anymore it's just a basic like life sciences degree you really if you don't go into pharmacy medicine or dentistry you can't really do anything with this degree it does nothing else so it's only like the prereqs for those three kind of career paths um so i graduated with that you know i i, I applied to ubc medicine did not get in my gpa did get much better after my second or sorry third and fourth years because you know in those years, you, then you can take like stat padding courses that really can boost your GPA. And, you know, once you have friends in the system there at UBC or any, any school for that matter, you know, you're going to know what those courses are. So, you know, your GPA goes up usually the last two years, but it wasn't good enough to get into UBC medicine because it's extremely, extremely difficult. And, um, you know, later I learned this, but, you know, UBC medicine often doesn't like to take applicants on the first try. They want you to keep trying over and over again uh, so that's a big factor too but also you know do I think that's a good 
factor, you know, not really. I, you know, I still probably would choose to do what I did if have if I had known that back when I was applying to UBC Med, if they told me, oh, if you need to just keep applying two, three years, that's still two, three years that you're wasting, not doing anything. Um, so yeah, so that that kind of transition that even that. So then I applied to SGU, um, St. George's. I, I applied to a, a number of schools. I applied to you know Ireland. I applied to the Caribbean and a couple of different schools. Uh, you know, there was a group, a pocket of of my friends at UBC. We were all looking to get into medicine. All of us didn't get into uh, U, UBC Med, so we were all kind of you know going through this journey together. Um, you know, some of them went to Ireland and have done really well and have come back. Some of them went to the Caribbean being uh have come back as well but it, i didn't get into any island schools even sgu i didn't get in right away i was put on a wait list so i was put on a wait list initially uh found out that i got in in july when i was just you know trying to buy time already graduated just working at shoppers drug mart pharmacy as a farm tech there's really not much else i could do with my degree um and then so i found out in july that i got in and i had to move in three weeks so i moved to uh grenada in early august um went to grenada and then that's when you know my mindset really shifted why i chose sgu is because you know when i did my research they had a good they had a lot of history so first and foremost they have the history so they have the experience and they have that you know that data showing that it worked um that it was a relatively a nicer island i would say it was it's not a third world kind of island i would say it's like a second and a half right in the middle there they had an iga which was like a grocery store that we all went to was the stuff all frozen and imported yes but still it's an iga and something you recognize um and it was it was a nice island you know a lot of rich people like oprah I had a house there, Lewis Hamilton or that, that race car driver has a house there. So it's a lot of rich people who like to go there. So it was still a, it was a very, very nice. Um, but yeah, that's why I chose. And they have, oh, and the biggest reason is they have a lot of connections in the US. So when you're doing your clinical rotations, they have like guaranteed spots in the US where you could do your rotations. And they also made it a little bit easier where they had like networks where you could you could go and for one whole year, stay in one city and, and get your rotations all done there. Whereas a lot of the other schools, you would do eight weeks in one city, then move, you know, maybe many states over and go another eight weeks here and just keep moving. And that's a lot of money. And I didn't want to, you know, I don't want, it's not like I was making any money. You know, this is my parents' money that was, was going to this and loans. And, you know, I, I was trying to be conscious of that too. I didn't want my parents to just, you know, spend endless money on this situation because at the same time i didn't know if i would make it either right you know it was you don't know when you first start especially when you're going to a caribbean school you know they have that stigma uh with everybody you know so you're kind of going there with a chip on your shoulder already because you know people are saying oh he didn't get into a, a canadian school so he's going down to a you know a international school yeah kind of chip on your shoulder but at the same time i think it made me work harder because I wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to prove people that I was the best I could do it. So that's kind of how I went into SGU. It like it was it was a job. You know, for me med school was not fun. I didn't party. I didn't I had a I had a, a small group of friends that I would talk to. But, you know, if you ask those friends where I go out, ne usually never. I I would go out like maybe once every 6 months at, at the end of a big midterm or something, but generally I stayed home. I studied all the time, all the time, because I wanted to be the best. And at the same time, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was competitive. I did want to be the best and I wanted to beat 
the other students. They were my competition, right? That's my, those are the people I'm fighting for residency spots for. And I wanted to be better. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was competitive for sure. Um, so yeah, I just studied all the time. You know, I was doing a long distance relationship as well. I, I met my now wife uh, at that time and I chose, you know, I'd rather do long distance with her than, than end it and see what happens, you know, out there. I'd rather take, she was worth the risk to me. So I, I, I decided to do that, which was tough, but, you know, me being able to stay at home and study 24 seven made that, I think a lot easier too, because we got to FaceTime all the time as well. So we were, even though I was studying, she would be there, you know, doing whatever she was doing. So, you know, it's not like we were talking the whole time, but she was just there. So it's, I wasn't technically alone, you know, I was still virtually with somebody too. So um, yeah, that was good. I, I really, really liked that. So I, but I did, I did study a lot. Uh, and then, that, and that's, you know, usually when people talk about schooling, their GPA starts high and then it steadily goes down. I feel mine was kind of like the difference. Mine started high, went down, then slowly went back, back up. And then by the time I got into medicine, because you the one good thing about UBC and what I would recommend to everyone is, you know, go to an undergrad school because it, you know, like UBC teaches you how to study for yourself. Each person studies differently. You know, you can't, you, well, how I learn is not how you're going to learn. You have to learn how what's best for you to learn. What I found my best way is just repetition, 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 repetition. I would go over things over and over and over again. And I would do very, very well. Like my GPA at SGU was in, very, very good. I graduated magna cum laude. Um, you know, so I, I, I was part of the honors society there. You know, I, I really, really, really tried hard. But I was trying hard. It's not like it just came easy. I was trying super, super hard. I, I can attest to that because I heard you went, your your honeymoon was back in Grenada because you yeah. didn't actually explore the island because you busted yeah. your ass that hard while you were in med school. Yeah, yeah. So people would all the time, you know, go and do excursions and go do all this cool stuff on the island because there was a lot, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. It's the Spice Island. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff there, but I didn't do anything. First and foremost, one, I didn't want to spend the money again because my parents paying for this and I didn't want them to just, you know, I didn't want to lie and say, oh, you know, a lot of times people will spend money on stuff, but they'll say it's part of like school expenses or grocery expenses when it's really them partying or and stuff like that. You know, I was too conscious about that. I didn't want to lie and do that because I know it was tough on them too, right? They were working hard. My mom worked seven days a week her whole life. But my dad busted his butt too, making, you know, trying to make a living. So at the same time, I didn't want to spend the money, but I also wanted to just study, study, study and be with my, my then you know, girlfriend. Uh, yeah. And just spend as much time with her. I I, honestly, I, I love your story of how hard you actually worked. And it's so important for people to hear that, that it doesn't come easy. It doesn't yeah. mean you're the smartest guy in the world. You just grind it yeah, exactly. in the hours. And there's nothing wrong with being competitive, especially yeah. if you're not malicious, you're just sitting in your room yeah. and studying. And I think exactly. that's, that's a great thing to do. So, yeah. and if I was doing a group session, I would, I would, one, I was trying to help, like I was trying to teach other people and stuff like that. I would definitely, definitely want my other friends to be smart. It's not like I was trying to hide things from them yeah. or trying to do anything sneaky like that. I also was trying to make them better too. Uh, and they were trying to make me better, vice versa. You know, we were in that together, you know, you're, you're fighting together. So it's not, even though it is competitive, it's not like you're doing things to try and put the other people down. You're all trying to raise each other up. It's it's a little you have bit the like right friend group. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you need the right people around you for sure. Sure, there are some you know bad apples probably out there. You, you know, but 
I don't, you know, if I, if I get any bad feeling about someone, I just try to stay away. That's my policy. You know, I, I stay around people that I feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is a lot like weightlifting in that sense where just cause you're, you know, lifting more, it doesn't actually take away from someone else. It's not like this direct competition. It's more mm -hmm. of an individual, you know, competition. So I think that's healthy for people to hear. Cause there are, I would argue most of the people I speak with, the dentists, the physicians, the optometrists, they are these high, strong, competitive type A personalities. Mm -hmm. So it's almost nice to hear that. Yes, you have permission to be like that, Yeah, uh, but it doesn't actually hurt your, your peers. I would argue it lifts up your peers because now the standard of, yeah, to, to fast forward, the standard of care is that much higher. Yeah, um, and the standard of education is that much higher. And I think that's yeah. just a good thing for, for Canadians across the board. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. so let's fast forward. Where did you complete your residency? And, and maybe you could walk me through the steps of the actual application from SGU to, to get into where you did your. Residency. Yeah. Yeah. So that's OK. So how it works. So pretty much when you're on the island, those first two years of med school, you're just focused on your USMLE step one, which is your first U.S. board exam. You know, you write you finish that after your two years and you try to do the best you can. You know, I, I did really, really well because I, I studied hard. So I got like a 250 on that, which is extremely good. Um, and, and after that, you go into your clinical rotation. So those, those final two years, you're in the U.S. in medical systems, you know, but still a student um, and you're not making any money. You're, you're, you're working, you're, you're a workhorse there, but you're learning. Um, during those two years, you also are prepping for the next set of USMLE step two and step step two CS and step two CK exams. And also if you're writing the Canadian exams, you're, you're trying to coordinate with the Canadian exams too, which I was. So there are Canadian board exams that you need to try and coordinate with too. Um, and so once you complete those board, those those initial USMLE Step 1, USMLE Step 2 CS and CK, um, you can then apply for residency. And that and usually you complete those after two years. If, if you're staying on track, you know, there are a lot of people who will take extra time to study, which I do not recommend. There are a lot of people who will take breaks in between, which I do not recommend. You know, the longer you take, I, I feel like the optimal time is six to eight weeks. Beyond that, you're going to start losing information that you were trying to retain um so and then after you finish that that's when you start applying for residency so you apply for residencies in your fourth year uh, of med school and you know i i was applying and that's where you got to make a big decision as a medical student you know what is your ultimate goal it's not really what do you want to be you're going to be a doctor but what is your goal with your life? Do you want to, especially if you're an international student at this point with how the system is now, maybe it'll change in the future. But at this point, you know, if you want to come back to Canada, your best option is become a family doc. Um, you know, if you become a family doc, essentially you're pretty much guaranteed that you can make it back to Canada as long as you, you do things right. But it's a family medicine career, you know, or you can specialize and, you know, go into cardiology, go into neurology, go into plastic surgery, whatever it may be. But your chances of coming back into Canada are severely limited by that um, because Canada has all these specialists, right? They don't need more specialists. They need family docs because the doctors that the Canadian graduate system creates, I think all I think usually all want to go into these specialties. Not a lot are trying to get into the family med system and there's that big need. So that was the decision I had to make. You know, do I want to go into a specialty career, you know, be happy, make a lot of money, but be stuck probably in the States somewhere and having a totally different life? Or do I want to get back home? And, you know, I had, at this point, I'd already been away from home for 
five years, maybe four years. I can't, I don't know what the timeline is, but probably four years. Uh, and I knew at this point that, you know, me and my, my, uh, me and my wife were going to get married. Um, so, you know, I also had to consider her too. you know, what, what is best for us. It's not just me now, what is best for us. And I, I knew instantly it's going back home. Um, so I decided to go into family medicine, like with my, as I mentioned with my step scores, you know, I pretty much could have, it was my choice, what I wanted to do. Do I want to specialize and go into any specialty or do I want to do this career? Um, and I chose family medicine and, you know, usually people who choose family medicine in the U S system, their scores are usually not that, not the best. Usually people who score higher will, will go into more of these specialty careers. Um, so because of that, when I applied to residency, I got a lot of interviews because my resume was very good. You know, I had very high scores. My GPA was very good. Um, there was no breaks in my record. You know, I didn't take any big breaks between university and med school, no breaks in med school. Everything was on track. So I got a lot of interviews. I actually denied quite a number of interviews because I was like, I'm not interested in going to this place. So I just didn't even bother wasting money going. Um, at the end of the day, I think I ended up going to 12 interviews. I think I got like around 25 offers and ended up going to around 12. Um, it took a lot of time. You know, you fly around a lot. You do miss a lot of your fourth year of school due to the travel and these interviews. Um, and then you rank you. So how it works is you rank the schools and then the schools also rank you. But there's a there's an actually the person who created this algorithm, I think, won a Nobel Prize. The algorithm that they use, it actually favors the students. So even if they ranked you number one, but you rank them 12 on your list, like last on my list, I will still get even if everyone in front of me says no to me just because I ranked that 12 there and they ranked me one, I will get that spot at that residence. And actually I found out I was in a situation like that. I I can't say how, and I can't say where, but Mm -hmm. I found out that I was ranked very high with one particular place. I personally was not interested in going in that place. So I put them last, but it it eased a lot of stress because I knew no matter what I had that spot because they ranked me highest in that international graduate class. So that was, that eased a lot of my stress immediately. Like I knew no matter what, I got a residency somewhere. So at that point, it was just, where do I want to go? And, you know, what I always, when I used to interview, uh, so when I got into residency, I became a, the chief resident there and I had to interview incoming, you know, medical students who want, who are applying for residency. And, you know, one thing I always told them as advice was, you know, the medicine is the same everywhere you go. You're going to learn the same medicine in New Jersey that you do in California that you're going to learn in Vancouver. You know, what's different and what I think is most important is the people you're with. You know, so I would pay really close attention to who the people were, you know, how comfortable I felt, that I feel that I feel comfortable, that I feel good vibes from the people that I, you know, any prejudice, any, any racist kind of vibes, because, you know, in the States, there's a lot of that. Um, and, and I felt like, also, I was trying to find a place that was going to be very fitting for my wife because by the time when I started residency we just got married so you know I graduated from med school in April we got married in May we moved we went on our honeymoon right after our, our after our uh, our wedding and then we came back home and within three days we moved 
and you know when we moved into New Jersey so I chose New Jersey I got accepted at the JFK family medicine residency which was my first choice as well um, mainly because of of the feeling I got from from the people that were there and I felt wow. it was very comfortable I felt New Jersey was very culturally diverse which is something else that I really really wanted um, you know there was there was a lot of Indian people there was a lot of white people there's a lot of Hispanics there's a lot of you know African-American people there's you know, everybody was there and there's good what is there too not 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 too far which is very helpful too and there's a big big Indian population in certain parts of New Jersey uh, at the same time you know Edison New Jersey which is where I went is it was far enough from New York where you don't have the busy busy craziness of New York City but close enough where every single weekend you, or even on a weekday if you had something to do you could go down it was kind of like Surrey to Vancouver it was 45 minutes so it was close enough where you could go and pretty much do whatever you wanted at New York City which was and, and also you know I did my clinical rotations in Brooklyn. So I did live in Brooklyn for a big proportion of the time when I was doing my studies. But again, I didn't do anything. I didn't go, you know, look at restaurants. I didn't go party. I didn't do anything because I didn't want to spend the money and I just wanted to study. So I didn't do any of that. So a little bit of me was like, okay, I'm going to be married. You know, we're going to be, we can explore New York together and see everything together. And I had learned what some of the stuff, like I knew what the hotspots were to go to. I just didn't go. So it would be nice to do that with, with my now wife. Um, and so when we moved to New Jersey, you know, we were homeless for the first like two weeks. I didn't have, we didn't have an apartment. We were living out of a hotel for like two weeks with all our luggage, our whole like lives and bags. Um, and then, you know, just had to rush, 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 get everything coordinated, got, a, got an apartment, which is super difficult because, you know, you're waiting for your social security number, which takes time. You're waiting for all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's just quite stressful in that beginning part. And it's, it's going to be this way for any Canadian in the U.S., or any international person in the US that's there's no way around that and so everyone is going through it it's not like it's a sob story just for me it's you know all of all of the international students were going through this as well um, but it's not easy it's tough it's, it's definitely tough um, but that's that's why I chose JFK is because of the people I would say mainly because of the people yeah so to summarize it it seems like obviously you worked very hard at SJU sorry SJU and then you had the, you get to choose schools, but that yeah. system sounds really cool because, yeah, it, it actually favors the student. Even if yeah. you're number one there, you're 12 there, it brings you peace of mind knowing, yeah. all right, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but it's really nice to hear that yeah, you picked where you went, not just based on medicine. It, it was yeah. very much like almost an emotional decision of where oh, do yeah. I feel a little bit like I'm at home. Um, having that diversity, having the the cultural sort of, you know, diversity, like I said, and the ability to still go and travel to a big city, yeah. but still be in a small city. So it's it's nice to hear that it wasn't like fully a financially motivated or a career motivated decision. It was also an emotional decision of what's best for me and my, and my partner. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I would say when it comes to the money, the money is one of the last things you really should be looking at. Because in residency, residency, you're getting paid like two bucks an hour regardless of where you go. So it doesn't matter what the money is. You're getting paid piss poor dollars, no matter what, mm. you know, I think the money is the last thing you should be looking at when you're going into mm. residency. No. Awesome. I think that's, that's really important to hear. Um, now that we're sort of, we fast forward we're in residency um, in New Jersey, what yeah. was the process of going back to Canada? Cause it seems like that was always the plan for you. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, is the biggest reason why you didn't specialize. You stayed in family medicine, even though your grades yeah. and resume was good enough to specialize. You always knew you're coming back to Canada. Yeah. Um, what was that actual process once you were doing your residency in New Jersey to get back to Canada? Yeah. So once you're in residency, you know, it's, it's a completely different type of stress. It's not, you know, a stress like, cause the whole, 
before residency, the whole stress is trying to get residency. It's kind of like, you know, trying to get med school in Canada. You know, once you get into med school, a lot of the stress is off because it's very hard to get out of med school once you're in a Canadian medical system. You know, they pretty much do everything they can to keep you and, and do, treat you well. So in, in the U.S., it's kind of like, you know, once you get residency or as an international student, once you get residency, that kind of stress is off. But then the stress of residency kicks in, you know, and it's a lot of work. You know, it's definitely definitely very difficult um trying on relationships trying on everything but it's definitely it's definitely fun for sure um yeah so once you're in residency but you're still trying to do well you know it's, it's not like this is where you where you ease off you know once i went into residency one of the first things we did when we had this we had a graduation for that that leaving class when i was starting and they got like there was this one award the, the best family medicine resident that they give this award to it during the graduation class and as soon as i saw that i was like i want that uh i wanted that so bad and so you know i i i worked hard i wanted to be the best I, I became the chief resident in my my year class with with another there was two chief residents but uh another resident of mine who i love uh dr park um but yeah so once i became chief resident it was it was all about focusing then to get back to canada um and, and as a family medicine resident it, it actually was pretty easy not gonna lie to come back there's pretty much a website called health match bc where you contact and and you know some you get connected with somebody who's your kind of your your go-to person the entire process and they they help you through each step it's a lot of work you know a lot of paperwork a lot of money all of each step of this process is insane amounts of money um so it's 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 crazy how expensive things are and how they expect us to pay these things but that's what we have to do. You know, you just got to bite the bullet. Um, but they really, really help. Health Match BC is is the go-to kind of resource for anyone who's trying to get back to Canada, uh, or at least in in the. I can only talk to family medicine residents. So, the, in my perspective, for family medicine residents, Health Match BC was the only place you need to go to, and they'll they'll tell you exactly what you need to do from there. Um, and then also, it does depend where you're going as well like for bc like you don't have to write cer certain uh canadian board exams or as if you're going back to ontario you do have to write these board exams so i had a number of residents at jfk um who were going back to toronto and, and ontario and so they had to write extra extra tests but for bc thankfully i didn't have to do that one of the tests you do have to write i had done prior to starting residency as part of that member when I said you have to, there's still Canadian board exams that you got to mm -hmm. try and stay on top of. I, I was staying on top of that and, and did it before. But in regards to when I finished residency and came back to Canada, I didn't, I really didn't have to take any extra exams or any extra like, you know, steps. It was just getting the paperwork, you know, getting everything transferred over, which all takes a lot of time. It's even once I completed graduate uh, or graduated from residency at JFK, I I luckily, very, very luckily started working the following October. I, I, and that was very lucky. I knew people who also who didn't start working in Canada for months and months and months later than that, um, because just things take time. And depending on who your person is, how quick they are, you know, what their situation is, like the person who you're coordinating with at the college, um, it can take a long, long time before you get set up and ready to go in Canada. Yeah, I've I've personally know people who it has taken them months once they yeah. come back to Canada, and it, it really sucks because you're you're kind of stuck in no man's land for yeah. months, and there's yeah. no 
end in sight. You just have yeah. to eat. And that, you know, if you're not lucky enough to live with family, you're paying rent, you're using your, you know, your line of credits, you're borrowing money, you're doing whatever you have to do yeah. because you can't really pick up a job, nor can you just, you know, sit around and make no money. It's, it's a very difficult period. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And then yeah. like, so once you get through that health match process and you get set up with the college, then you start like uh, interviewing at, at practices. Yeah. And so this is where it comes completely changes you know this is when they want you now and they're everyone is trying to get you because you're like the hot commodity you know everyone needs a doctor every practice needs more family docs so you know i interviewed in the ladner area i interviewed in um, the langley area but mm -hmm. all, I, and i actually spoke to uh, a previous resident uh, a friend of mine who was working in langley and i just asked him for advice like what does he think i should look for when i'm interviewing at all these places because each place when you go to it sounds nice right they're all offering you oh you can get this split and splits comes to like uh, in regard to so as a doctor you make money and you have to pay over a certain amount of overhead and the split is usually like 70 30 so you keep 70 percent and 30 percent of it goes to your overhead you still get taxed on all of that anyways but um uh going back so yeah so you interviewed all these places uh when i spoke to this person he said you know really think about where you're going to live. He's like, it, it, it ultimately think about where you're going to live in the future, because it makes a lot of sense to be working close to where you're living. And I personally hate commuting very far. I hate commutes. I'd rather live very, very close. And every step of my pathway here through med school, I did live close to where I was working um, intentionally because I just hate commuting. Um, so my whole ultimate goal was to work in the South Surrey or live in the South Surrey White Rock area. So then that shifted my focus to interviewing out here in, in the South Surrey White Rock area. I interviewed a number of places. Hilltop just seemed like a good fit for me. Again, is more the people, the vibe, the feel, not really, again, anything else i i kind of base my decisions on how i feel with the people around me um i had i felt good feelings there you know i had a lot of support there as a new doctor entering a new system you know they had a lot of a uh, lot of support and they're the biggest you know they're the biggest family medicine clinic in the western hemisphere so or western canada at least so it was it seemed right and it was a way for me to become an associate at this clinic quite quickly you know it, it was a good opportunity and i just chose to take the risk yeah, Hilltop is is massive. They are. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. They are the biggest. Yeah. But your story so far is like this constant. There's I think it's a Tibetan saying or there's a certain culture, Eastern culture that has this saying. And I don't I'm going to butcher this, but they say something along the lines of behind mountains are bigger mountains. Yeah. And it always seems like there was this climb of, OK, you know, high school, I'm going to get to UBC. And that was the only goal. Yeah. And then as soon as you get there, you're like, okay, well, now I got to get into sciences. Yeah. And then you get into sciences. Okay, now I got to get into med school. Yeah. Get into med school. There's like this constant new goal yeah. as soon as you hit one. Yeah, yeah. And you just you plowed through all of them. Yeah. And, and each, so each time, I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah. You know, each time <laughs> I, I wanted to go to UBC Sciences, I didn't get it. You know, each time I wanted to go to UBC Medicine, I didn't get it. I wanted to go to SGU, I got waitlisted. Each time, you don't get, always get what you're trying to – you don't get what you always want. But as long as you fight hard enough and keep going – you know, usually you can still make it. This might seem like a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Was there at any point along the way when you're like, okay, I keep not getting what I want. Did you ever have doubts or thoughts of, okay, maybe this isn't the career for me or were you just hell bent on, I'm going to do this. I don't care how I do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm sure I probably thought that back then, but at the same time, I always knew I was smart, smart enough to do, do it. 
Like I knew if I tried hard enough, I could do it. I just knew before I wasn't trying hard enough. I was partying too much. I was hanging out with my friends too much. You know, I was playing video games too much, but I knew if I tried hard enough, I could do it. And so there was still that in me where I just knew if I, if I ultimately put my effort into it, I could do it. So that's why I always just kept trying because I knew I could do it. I just needed that push to start doing it. Love that. Um, and then you do reach this nice point where, yeah, you are, the cool kid in the room, everyone's interviewing, yeah. you're interviewing them and you eventually pick Hilltop. Um, when yeah. you did uh, sort of end up at Hilltop, did you yeah. have any sense of relief? Was there a, okay, I'm good now pretty much. For the no, because this my see, I, I chose the hard path again because I took over a practice. I, I took over a huge practice of like 3000 people from another doctor who, you know, got tired of it and wanted to become a hospitalist and so he's working in a hospital system and a nursing home so you know that was another and i do not recommend this to anyone now i would say to any new doctors you know start fresh start from the bottom don't take over a practice it's extremely extremely difficult so you know it was just another another obstacle but again you know i've made it i haven't given up i you know i'm still going to do it i've been doing it now for three and a half years so i don't think i'm going anywhere but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else. Yeah, because especially in BC, if you start from like fresh, you will have a full client base, patient really base fast. within it's up to you. weeks yeah. to months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can do you can go as fast as you want, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And I guess maybe walk me through your your day to day now as a practicing, you know, family physician. Um, what does your your typical day in the office or clinic look like? So pretty much um I, when I first started working, I was working usually eight to three. Uh, and then I would do, uh, you know, a lot of paperwork, charting, you know, looking at blood work, looking at reports after work and during lunchtime. So usually I would finish working around five, five thirty usually, but typically speaking to patients is generally eight to three. Now I, I start at work at nine and I go nine to four, uh, actually spe- seeing patients and speaking to patients. Um, but I still do a lot. It's, you know, the paperwork and the charting and everything else is just insane um but the new business model that they've yeah the new way that they've they've changed the system actually is helping big time i would say you know you're finally getting compensated for for that time you know i always told people before this billing model every single day i would work like two and a half three hours and not get paid for For sometimes for free for even four or five hours and not get paid for it um and you know you know people think oh doctors get paid so much but ask how many people out there would work five hours every single day and, and for, for free. free, for free and, and not complain. You know, you didn't hear doctors, you know, well, we did complain, but it's not, you know, it's not like we could. No do one stopped doing the work. They exactly. still did it. And they just exactly. said, this is unfair. I'm exactly. like, when this model came out, it, obviously it's still not perfect, but yeah. it's definitely a step in the right direction. Cause for anyone who isn't aware, yes, doctors like Rajdeep would go and work see their patients, and then after work, do all the paperwork, charting, and no one else could do it because of client, you know, sorry, patient, yeah. doctor confidentiality. So you would do three, four, five, six, seven hours of work per week or per yeah. day extra, not get paid for it. But yeah. now with this new billing model. Yeah, are- because you get sent everything as, yeah. as, the, as the family doc. Like, in, and that was one thing in Canada or in the US that was different when I was in residency. I would only get the blood work of whatever I ordered. I wouldn't get blood work that was ordered from specialists and tests that were ordered from specialists. The patients would just have to go see the specialist, which is how it should be, I, I believe. You know, if I shouldn't be getting or being, I shouldn't have to follow up on another doctor's 
work. You know, I'm not their assistant. They should fall. And I don't, if they're not sending me reports, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know why they're ordering these tests. So it's inappropriate for me to even be following up on these investigations. Um, but in Canada, you get sent everything. And, you know, coming from America, the medical legal kind of is really drilled into you in the American system. So I, I, I call my patients about every single result. You know, a lot of doctors will say, oh, if it's normal, we won't call you. Just assume it's normal. I don't believe in that. I think it's a recipe for disaster because what if the doctor never gets the result back? They never call the patient because they never got the result back. The patient thinks it's normal because they haven't heard from the doctor. But what if the test has been bad the whole time? So I, I generally call my patients about everything. So when I'm getting all of these results, you can just imagine how tedious that is. is, is and Because there's minor things wrong everywhere. And I like to comment on everything just so, you know, uh, I try to be the doctor that I wanted, you know, so I don't want my patients to wait. I don't want my, if I go get a test, I want to know the results. So that's what I try to do to my patients. So um, it's, but it's a lot of work, especially when you take over a big practice of, you know, two, 3000 patients, it's an insane amount of work very, very fast. And so for that first three and a half years, you know, where I was doing all this extra work, you didn't get paid any for this, but now finally it, it's, it's a lot better. It's not great, but it's a lot better. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess, well, I, I love what you just said is you wanted to be the doctor that, you know, you wish you had. And I think everyone should operate that way, regardless of what their profession is. Um, yeah. Try to be, whether you could be a simple job as a waiter, try to be the waiter that, you know, you wish you have when you're yeah. dining out experience. So for sure, I love but... that. And maybe on that note of us talking about, you know, you starting your practice and the difference between Canada and America and your, your education. Yeah. What was, let's say something that your education did not prepare you for? Like when you started working, what was a surprise to you that you just didn't, you weren't aware of? Yeah. So the, the finances are, are huge. You know, you don't get, you guess you get like some, especially now, lately in the last couple of years, you definitely in residency, especially you do get like practice management courses and practice management discussions with, with the attending physicians and stuff like that, which do help, but it's, it really doesn't teach you much from going, getting paid like two bucks an hour to getting paid extremely high amounts of money, um, you know, an hour, but at the same time with that, you know, with more money comes more problems, more bills, because you start doing more with that money. So it's not like that money just sits there and keeps going up and up and up, you know, that money is going places and, and, but you still got to keep track of it, which you don't really, you don't really get taught how to do that. So I would say that's probably the biggest one is the financial part of it for sure. Um, also, it's just the stress of the job. You know, the, the job is extremely stressful because especially as a family, family doc, kind of like at the end of the day, it always comes back to you. You know, if a specialist can't figure it out, if a physiotherapist can't figure it out, if a dentist can't figure it out, who are you going to keep going back to? It's your family doctor. So your family doctor, even though they're not a specialist, sometimes has, or almost always has to try and figure out the solution to this problem when they're very, very complicated problems. Um, and there's a, there's a, and I hate not having an answer. I tell my patients this all the time. I hate when I can't tell you why this is going on or, or why you feel this way. Um, it's just, that's part of me. I always want an answer for a, a question or a problem. And so when I don't have a good answer and me, in medicine, very, very often you don't have an answer. Yeah. And so you just have to get comfortable with that stress and that crappy feeling that you can get when you see someone suffering or you see someone in pain and you want to help them, but you're ordering all the proper tests, you've done everything and just nothing's coming up, you know, and you just, yeah. you don't know what's going on. It sucks, but 
that is extremely stressful for sure. I think this would be a good thing to just expand on here because that's obvious. I hear that very often of get all this schooling and all this education and I have this person in front of me who's suffering and I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that experience for you? How are you able to detach from that result? Because I'm sure with your patients, they're probably like, you're a physician. Like, what do you mean you don't know what's going on? Yeah. They can obviously have anxiety and stress around that. Yeah. How do you cope with that? I'm just, I'm just completely honest with them. You know, I just, I just straight up tell them, you know, I'm sometimes I just say I'm a new doctor. I, I don't know, you know, maybe this is something a more experienced physician would know. Um, you know, I, I said, I don't think there's any reason to, to lie to them, you know, you, yeah. and I say not everybody has answers for everything. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just being honest. That's how you, how you cope and just being honest with yourself and the people. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Yeah. Um, the, Honesty is the best policy, right? Yeah. Um, sure. And I think when people know, okay, my physician doesn't know, it's not because they're uneducated or whatever. They just don't know. Nothing's yeah. Up in the test yeah. And as long as you're, I think that brings nice. them some peace. Yeah. Yeah. You're, as long as you're empathetic about it and and being nice and not a jerk, which a lot of doctors can be, you know, as long as you're you're being and understanding of them too, right? There's still people who are are going through this, you know. So as long as I feel empathy, you know, that's drilled into you through med school and residency is all about empathy. So as long as you're empathetic, you know, I don't think a patient really would get upset with you in that scenario. And if they if they do get upset with you, that's their right too. They can be upset. They're they're going through a tough time. You know, you just gotta again roll with the punches. Yeah. Um, I guess to switch gears here a little bit and kind of go a little bit backwards, um, given that you've practiced obviously in the, in the States and in Canada, mm-hmm. give me some of the similarities or differences between the two systems. Cause like you said, mm-hmm. the, the medicine's the same, but how is the actual system as a whole? Could you give me yeah. a little bit of a compare and contrast without? Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, for sure. So in the, in the medical system, like you're, uh, you're usually associated with, with, groups or with like a university program typically um and there's it's a lot more i feel a lot more coordinated like the specialists you can see the specialists usually a little bit faster than you do in canada the specialists will do a lot of the work that they're supposed to do whereas i feel like in canada you know they'll say this is the work that needs to be done and then want the family dog to do the work whereas not order it themselves they'll say this patient needs all of this but you order it you know which is ridiculous in my opinion um where in in the u.s it's they would do they would take care of their own work and they would follow up on their own work um and you know if i find one of the biggest things i'm seeing so much is everybody thinks they have adhd every tom dick and harry thinks they have adhd what people have to understand is if you made it into your 30s 40s and 50s even if you have adhd you're fine you know it it hasn't affected you that much where you know you've been significantly impacted by it if you have then yes go get tested but if you're just looking it up and you have one little symptom that falls under the category of adhd you do not have adhd please stop going to your walk-in clinics and your doctors and causing the wait list to be two years long for the people who really need it. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. And that's a big thing within the States. If those kind of things, you just referred them to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist would do it here. It's impossible to get a psychiatrist. If I try to refer someone to a psychiatrist, it takes them over a year, sometimes two years to even get someone. And then there's this rap, they have rapid access psychiatry clinics where you can see someone within six months, but they don't do ADHD. They don't do most of this stuff. So at the end of the day, it still follows, it falls to the family doc because who are the patients going to keep going to? It's me. It's the family doc. They're going to keep coming to you. Uh, You know, they're not going to wait two years to see the specialist. 
so it's yeah, that's the biggest difference. That's the biggest difference. Um, I, I've heard similar where they're here. I would say you are the 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 spoke in the middle of the wheel. You yeah. are as well in the states, but at least there you have a little bit more support or, or faster yeah. access. Here, all problems and and solutions flow through you. Yeah, and that causes a big strain on our system. Obviously, the, we both know this. Not all Canadians, or even I believe in BC, have a family physician, and it's because yeah. of the strain and not having enough physicians here. Yeah. Plus, all of these people who every little problem falls on your shoulders to solve yeah. and deal with, and so it is a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I guess with all things being equal, let's assume you didn't meet your wife here in BC, um, and you didn't have family here. If you know, pound for pound, I'd where would States. you rather practice? I would be in the states. Yeah, if you completely removed family, yeah. friends, any personal tyings to Vancouver, mm -hmm. I would. Even if I was in Canada, I wouldn't be in Vancouver. It's too expensive. I would be. I, I would hundred percent be in the states. I would be in California. That's where I would be right now, golfing in California. <laughs> Fair 1, enough. I, I'm not gonna argue with you there. It's it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Um. I'll sort of finish off with my last three questions that I ask all of our guests. Okay. Um. The first one is. Who is or who are your biggest inspirations? This could be, you know, more locally within your family. This could be on a grand scale, like a like an athlete or a musician. Mm -hmm. Who is that person for you or people for you? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like, you know, depending on what you're kind of focused on at the time, it changes. You know, now I'm into golf, so probably be a lot of golfing people. But if you asked me before, it'd be different. And, you know, there's always the usual answers, you know, family, my, my mom, my dad are always going to be an inspiration to me. My, my sisters are always going to be an inspiration to me. Um, you know, so that, that will never change. And that's true of everybody, you know, you typically, and I would hope, you know, people's families are, are their inspirations. Uh, my biggest would probably be my wife. You know, she probably is the biggest inspiration to me. She helped me so much through the process and I'm so happy that we decided to do it together. It made us so much better um, individually and together. Um, you know, she was there with me every step of the way, even though she was, we were long distance, you know, so, so many thousands of miles apart, you know, but she was literally right there every single step of the way because of, you know, we luckily had FaceTime the entire time. Yeah. So, you know, definitely I would say she was, she was my biggest inspiration for sure. I love that. That's and awesome. she's strong. Yeah. She's really strong. <laughs> uh, next question is what's next for you, let's say personally as Rajdeep and professionally as Dr. Sangha? Uh, professionally, uh, just keep my patients and myself healthy, healthy and happy and just be as honest and trusting as I can be with them. Um, personally, just, you know, I'm having a newborn coming up next month. So, be a better father, be a better husband, and be a better golfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and in that order. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in that order. <laughs> no, that is awesome. And yeah. honestly, congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and we, we touched on money. Um, and, and mm -hmm. that was one of the biggest surprises when you started working. So you mm -hmm. go from this small salary to a very high sal salary, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. and you get hit with all these responsibilities. And, and shameless yeah. plug, like with White Coat Financial, that's literally yeah. Yeah. every day of the week, especially with yeah. that adulting avalanche. As you finish school, yeah. you got six figures of student loan debt, you got yep. buying your first real car, moving into a place, getting married, yeah. having a family, maybe starting a clinic, saving, yeah. investing for retirement, you know, vacations. And you're hit with all this in your late 20s to late 30s. Yeah. But given all of that, my, my, I guess, final sort of question on this is, What's the best financial decision that you think you've made so far in your career? Uh, 
this honestly doesn't have to be an investment. It could literally be like, oh, I purchased this thing and it's sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's probably two two things that I would say are the best financial decisions I've made. So one would be purchasing my house. I yeah. think just having, I think there's the best time to get into a, a, you know, a primary residence is the day you do it. You know, it's, it's the best decision you can make and it's just a very, very good thing to do. So purchasing my house as early as I did and as fast as I did, I think was a, one of the best decisions for me and allowed me to do a lot of other things since that. Um, second is just, choosing my career path, becoming a doctor was probably the best financial decision I could have done. It's, you know, it's a stable guaranteed income, you know, it's essentially job proof, you know, whatever happens, you're all, everyone's always going to need a doctor. I personally do not think, you know, AI robots, chat GPT, this crap is going to take the place of doctors. You need, no. you need a human, you need a rational thinking human to make these mm -hmm. complex decisions. You can't rely on robotics or computers for that. So I don't think in any way that a computer system in my lifetime is going to take over my job. So definitely, I think becoming a doctor was, was, and purchasing my house was the two biggest, most important financial decisions I've ever made. Yeah, no, I love that. I number one, obviously, becoming a physician is yeah. There's the money, and the society always needs you. And yeah. at the end of the day, what would we do without you guys? You are, I would argue, yeah. if not the most, one of the most important professions to humankind. Period. Um, so, like, yeah, you can't ever go wrong for being one of the most valuable people to humankind. Um, and yeah, purchasing your first house, it, especially here in BC, I, I can't say that for everywhere in the world because mm -hmm. properties don't appreciate the way they do. In and, and Toronto, mm -hmm. it is one of the most important things to do because without getting into the technicals of it, yes, you have a home to live in, but all the yeah. gains on that are completely tax-free and it's yeah. one of the only tax-sheltered investments in the world, sorry, in yeah. Canada right now. So amazing time to, to sort of buy into a house at the time yeah. that you guys did. For sure. Um, and I guess to wrap up the episode. Oh, can I have, have a worst financial decision? Yeah, if you would like, I actually used to ask. Yeah. Um, and then my first few guests were like, I didn't make any mistakes. Like, okay. <laughs> Plus, I had some people who were like, oh, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to talk about it. But yeah, if yeah. you could tell me the worst. I, I'd love worst it. financial decision is golf. <laughs> <laughs> it's so expensive. It's so expensive, but it's so much fun. It's, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's it's definitely a pricey sport. I'll say this. With the amount of work that you guys do and, and how much care you take of people, you need to do it for your own yeah. mental solitude of yeah. being out with your friends. It's a social thing. You're exercising. You're out getting the vitamin D. It's, yeah. I would say it's a great thing. Not Maybe just not financially, but for your own. Yeah, so, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, final question is, do you have any advice to your fellow doctors out there or for any advice to you know the younger students who are new grads or, or coming out of or within your first year of practicing? Yeah, I would say, and I think I'll, I'll tailor this to pretty much like new students and, and people who are thinking about going into medicine is like, you know, really sit down with yourself and, and think, can I do this? You know, it's extremely, extremely hard. And I've seen a lot, I've seen more people fail than get through it. That's just the facts, especially if you're going internationally. I would 100% recommend going to an undergrad in Canada first. So again, you learn how to to treat yourself and how you need to learn and study before you go uh, to, to any medical school. Most honestly, I think almost all people I know who went straight there either didn't make it or took extremely long. Um, so I would definitely say go to an undergrad, but really have a conversation with yourself and, 
ask yourself if you truly, truly can do this. And if you think you can, then go for it. Take the risks, you know, take the risks on yourself. It's easier to absorb these risks earlier in your life. You know, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have kids, you don't have all these bills, you know? So even if you don't make it, you know, you can really absorb that risk and find a different career path and, and still make up for it. So take risks on, on your, on yourself early in life um, when you can don't be scared to fail you know everyone fails and you know you won't always get what you want as I've discussed I, pretty much every single step of my path I didn't get what I want but I just kept pushing and you just got to keep fighting keep fighting and everything is hard nothing is easy especially the good things you know they're supposed to be hard you know it's supposed to suck before it feels good you know it, things in life need to feel bad for them to also feel good otherwise you wouldn't know what good feels like so you just have to keep keep fighting um and and sacrifice it comes with sacrifice you know you are going there's a cost to this you know medical school is a huge cost not just financially but so many other things that you will not know there's no way of knowing what the cost is going to be before you take this path because for each person it's different i've sacrificed many 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 things um by going through this path so you just have to understand there's a give and take right you, if you want this you're going to have to give something up well, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, I want to thank you for honestly being on. This was, we're only a few episodes in, but this was so, so helpful, I think, for the people who are listening. Because your path was, like I said before I, we brought you on, is you are literally like the epitome of doing it anyway. You don't get what you want. You still put in the work. It doesn't matter what happens. You still went and put in the work. And you have this great self-awareness of, I'm going to do this. I know I'm able to. There's this self-belief that you've built through hard work. And I yeah. absolutely love your story because I think it's so important. Everyone gets bogged down on, okay, I didn't get into UBC med or I didn't get into U of T for, for dentistry. Yeah. Life's over. You had those moments and just decided, no, my life's not over. There's a different yeah. path. If I, if I can't get it through, you know, the door, I'll get it through the window. If I can't make it a certain way, I will yeah. somehow figure this out. And I think honestly, the world is probably a, a better place because you persevered. Think of those 3000 patients that you see on a regular basis imagine if you didn't maybe someone else wouldn't be there to take that spot so um thank you for being on thank you for for the work that you do every single day um and yeah thank you again like i said for your time and, and and taking the time to do this no worries happy to help thank you as well absolutely and that concludes our 10th episode of the dollars and doctor show i want to thank dr sanga again for being a guest on this podcast and taking time out of his busy schedule to record today's episode if you'd like to reach out to Dr. Rajdeep Sangha, I will include his contact information in the show notes. This episode was brought to you by White Coat Financial. Our goal at White Coat Financial is to change the financial planning industry by combining a fiduciary duty with a one-stop shop experience for our clients. If you're a Canadian doctor and you're looking for financial advice on mortgages, investing, insurance, taxes, or any other financial matters, visit our website, www.whitecoatfinancial.ca. On our website, you'll be able to schedule a free initial consultation to learn about how White Coat Financial can help you protect your income, grow your money, and live better. If you have any questions or feedback for us, you can email me directly at gurthage at whitecoatfinancial.ca. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your ongoing support. I look forward to speaking with you soon. 
The information contained in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not to be taken as financial advice. While the host of this podcast is a registered financial planner, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as financial advice. Before making any financial decisions, you should always consult with a financial professional about your unique circumstances and personal situation. The hosts and guests of this podcast are not responsible for any errors or omissions or for any actions taken based on the information provided in this podcast. It is the responsibility of the listener to do their own due diligence and make informed financial decisions.